Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, Managing Editor of the NBA Page, with you as always. And today, you know, it's time to talk about maybe the team that had the best offseason in the NBA this summer. No, not the Clippers. No, not the Lakers. The Utah Jazz. I think they flew a little under the radar for a lot of people, but that's a team that set themselves up to potentially contend if you believe in some of their pieces coming together. We're going to talk about all that today with Andy Larson from the Salt Lake Tribune. It should be really interesting. In fact, why are we wasting time? Let's just get right to it. We welcome in Andy Larson from the Salt Lake Tribune. How, how are you doing, Andy? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm happy to be back in the swing of things. And, you know, I, I took a month off and traveled the world. And so being back in Utah covering basketball again, I don't know. It's We have the best jobs in the world, right? Yeah, exactly. It's really hard to, to get away from this job. And you've been, it, look, it's been a fun season there. Plus, your GM hasn't pissed off an entire country like China. So it's... it's <laughs> So far, so good with your preseason. I mean, I, I was just said this in the open right before you came out. It's like Utah quietly had, I mean, no, they did not land Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant or something. They quietly might have had as good an offseason as anybody. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. Hollinger called it in his article today maybe the most interesting offseason of anybody, which I thought was a, uh, was a good way to put it. Just You know, I, I agree. You know, you didn't get a top five player from the NBA moving around to you, but I think they added a bunch of new and different pieces. We honestly up and down the roster that, that you know, I think makes this a very intriguing team uh, in the three season first few months of the season. Yeah. I mean, there's some, they didn't bring in a superstar in the sense of, of bringing in the classic, you know, massive, massive name, but the guys they've got seem like real fits with not only the city, but the system. Like, the, to be the biggest name, obviously, they went out and got point guard Mike Connolly. That gives them another, I mean, just seems like a guy who's going to blend right in. He defends well. Um, he can create shots. He can knock down shots on a catch and shoot. He's he's a very, very good pick and roll player, and they might have the best pick setting and rolling big in the league in, in, in Rudy Gobert. There's just a natural synergy there. Yeah, I, I think so, and I, I think you look at Quinn Snyder's offense as so read-based, read-oriented, read-and-react, right? And mm. Mike Conley seems like he's a perfect player to be able to make those reads and in a way that, you know, I think the, the real question thing with defense with enough problems to really have good choices a lot of the time, yeah. uh, I think and obviously the shooting ability is, is night and day from Rubio. Um, then the defense, act, maybe it, this is... Getting, I don't know if this is getting into the weeds too much, but I, I think 
picked role big than, than Rudy Gobert is, and I think there's going to be some adjustment. Not saying that Mike Conley won't be able to do that, but I, I think there will be a, a learning curve for this team. But if they I, I, Look, I think that that's really true. Do you expect a slightly slower start because of that? I mean, it, we didn't even get two starters, basically, to go with Gobert and Mitchell this year and then bring some of these guys. say that there should be a learning curve, and I, I think there probably will be. I think the Jazz is scheduled to begin this at in the first week of training camp, the, the results are, you know, what we've been hearing, we, we shouldn't read anything into a 52-point win over an Australian team. You know, I, that was just kind of like a nonsense game. But um, they did look good, I guess, in doing so. So, uh, you know, I, I think maybe they're, they're coming together maybe a little bit faster than what you would have expected if you, you, know, you didn't know anything two weeks ago. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing about what they did this summer, again, they did not... Not getting superstar, but they did get guys who filled in the weakness, right? Like, this is the second year in a row where they've gotten into the playoffs, and last year, obviously, a really strong regular season. They bring the defense and everything into the postseason. But as Steve Kerr and Kevin Durant talked about, there comes a point in the postseason, like right around the second round, in particular usually, but sometimes earlier in a deep west, where the ability to run your offense and get the points you normally get from cuts and back cuts and stuff that, especially in Utah's case with such a great system, they run well, they get just some easy buckets because the defense is falls asleep for a second. They don't have the personnel to kind of handle it. The deeper you get in the playoff, that goes away and you just need a guy to go get you a bucket. And it was kind of eventually became Donovan Mitchell against the world. And I'm as high as anyone on Donovan Mitchell, but he's, he's 22. He's just not that guy yet. I completely agreed, and and honestly, I thought with having guys who couldn't shoot around Donovan Mitchell made it very easy for the Rockets to kind of load up on him and you know give them credit for having a good defensive scheme against the Jazz and really taking away their good options and and yeah. really honestly forcing guys like George Niang and Jay Crowder and Ricky Rubio and uh, even Joe Ingles to hit shots and and they they didn't you know and and so um, it, it was. You know, just the degree to which no one made shots during last year's first round is was pretty remarkable. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's kind of the idea is if you plug and play guys into the same setup, into the same Quinn Snyder system, is it, read and react offense, but this time you actually have guys who can shoot, then, uh, you know, it, it, hopefully you have better results. And I think that that's totally true that if you have uh, space for Donovan Mitchell to operate, and obviously now another year of maturity and, and hopefully experience. Um, you know, I, I think you can ideally hope for for better things. You know, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know that the Jazz are going to be better defensively. I don't know. There's really a ton of reason to expect that they will be, but offensively, it, it should be a lot easier. Let's talk about Donovan for a second. He goes to Team USA this summer, and and that was something Quinn Snyder urged, right? That. Go soak up everything Popovich is teaching. Go soak up that. And and my experience being around the team a, a little in Los Angeles was they and talking to people, they were working on him to be a leader. They were trying to push him, you know, learn how to be a leader. Granted, he's young and he's 22, but that was, you know, outside of Kemba, that wasn't exactly the most stacked veteran, you know, veteran leadership team. So they were, he got some of that out of it, I think. I mean, is that the sense you've gotten since he's been back and around camp? Yeah, for sure, and I I think he he showed that off. You know, I I went down then uh, down there with uh, down to Australia with them a little bit, and you know you could watch it when when he was on the court, he was maybe the most vocal guy. I mean, Kemba is Kemba is a different. 
different kind of leader, I think, and, yes. and is vocal at times. But I think Donovan was maybe the guy who was talking most after plays and, and kind of getting guys together at free throws and that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of the normal evolution from a 22- to 23-year-old. But it's also a guy who just was called up into Team USA and asked to be, you know, a, a leader. And I think that kind of gives him more license to do so with the Jazz. Now, you know, I, I also think that some of that with the Jazz can also be – picked up by Mike Conley, right? Like, Mike Conley is going to be a veteran leader for this team. I don't know if Conley or Mitchell will have the bigger voice in the locker room. Um, but I, I think there is some sense that Mitchell, that Donovan can improve and, uh, you know, it, it will hopefully will improve in the, in the third season because you do see guys take a, a jump from year two and year three and, you know, it quite frankly has more tools around him to have a better chance of succeeding too. Is there any chance Rudy Gobert doesn't bring up the France beating USA game like every other day at least to to Mitchell? Yeah, oh, for sure. And and especially just how that game played out. I mean, yes. from like a Jazz point of view, that was the most incredible matchup you could even ever hope for, right? Like it's you've got Donovan who scores I was what, 27 points in three quarters, 29 points. 29. And Rudy Gobert just getting that game-winning or game-sealing block in the final minute on Donovan and, you know, having a tremendous, what, a 21.15 rebound performance as well. I mean, that was, <laughs> that was like the, the matchup that you could, uh, the best matchup you could possibly hope for if, if you wanted to have something that those guys would talk about for the rest of the year and, honestly, the rest of their careers together in Utah. Exactly. I think, I think that they'll kind of bond over it in some ways. I've got to say, after I'm watching that game and then rewatching it later, I mean, look, Mitchell was hitting every... He was the only guy, frankly, hitting everything in that game. They, their shooting went to, to pot on that one, to use a my grandmother's term, I guess, because I can't use the word I would actually use for what happened. Um, but Gobert, when you watch the game, Gobert was the best player on the floor. He was just yeah. an absolute beast in that game. And and France doesn't win that. With I mean, Fournier played well and what have you. Gobert just owned the paint in that game. Yeah, completely agreed. And, and again, you know, this doesn't surprise anyone. I don't think that Rudy Gobert is good at defense, but yeah, yeah I mean, just it, he really did show that how how much he can be, just like so dominant. And there are stretches where he's not, and and that I think there are questions about whether or not he uh, if his impact goes down in the playoffs uh, in, in certain lineups, and uh, you know, against certain opponents, but. There are times where it's just like, if, if, especially with as, I guess, perimeter attacking focus, focus as Team USA was, if you just shut down the paint, that just <laughs> does not mean that uh, you have a lot of scoring options against a lot of different teams. In the case of Utah now, there's going to be more pressure on him. They, they, I mean, Mike Conley can defend, but they gave up some of the, they don't have Derek Favors, and they gave up some of the wing defender depth, on, you know, defensively a little bit. I think that there's going to be more on him a little bit this year, wouldn't you say? Agreed. And I, I mean, they're going to play four out, one in all the time rather than just half the time. So first of all, there's that, you know, you don't have Derek Favors to come and be a secondary rim protector, if you will, if he gets caught out. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think there's, I think it, there just will be, you know, I, I think at the four, I think Jay Crowder is probably a little bit better of a defender than Bogdanovich is. Uh, I, I think there are just going to be times where uh, teams look to, drag Rudy Gobert out on the perimeter and he's going to have to be able to get out there, show a hand and then get back into the paint. You know, it, he's going to have to, the, the, I mean, he said this too during 
the first day of training camp, look, this is the, the heaviest the load has ever gonna is ever been on my shoulders. But he thinks he can he's up to the task and you know, obviously NBA players are uh, they certainly have confidence, but yeah, I, I I think you're right that this team defensively will rely on Rudy Gobert more than ever before, and we'll we'll see if he's up to the task. You know, honestly, last year the Jazz were an average defensive team through the first six weeks or so. I think they were 19th uh, through December 1st, and then after that they figured it out, played better defense. You know, started honestly containing on the perimeter a little bit, and that gave. Rather than facing Rudy Gobert facing a bunch of different two-on-one opportunities, that actually gave him a chance to do something. And uh, obviously, he was tremendous for the rest of the year, and you know, got the Defensive Player of the Year result award as a result. And I don't disagree with how they built the team in any way. Like I love their moves this summer. Like I said, I think they had one of the best summers out there. They're going to miss Derek Favors, though. Like they're yeah. they're going to miss Derek Favors, who was probably the best backup center in the NBA. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, you look at, like, the, the Hollinger projections had him at the Jazz at a, as a 49-win team, you know, and that, that's two wins less than last year. And I think that's because Derek Favors in a vacuum is a better player than Bogdanovich, but it's just a complete fit decision. And, and so there are going to be times, especially with the second unit, that's, that's going to struggle to score without Derek Favors out there. And, you know, they, they relied on him in a lot of different ways last year that they're, they're going to miss him. Um, and, and nevertheless, it was still kind of like, okay, we just can't lose in the same way. Again, we got to go out and try something else. And I think you have to give credit to Dennis Lindsay and, and Justin Zanuck for, for putting this team together in that way. But, yeah, there are, <laughs> Derek Favors is a, a real lock. He's a very good player, and I think he's going to open up some eyes in, in New Orleans this year. I was about to say, I just quietly, I think he landed in a spot that's just fantastic for him because, look, first off, we're all going to be watching New Orleans on League Pass, right? Like, that's going to be yeah. <laughs> that's going to be like the most fun team in the NBA in a lot of ways. But I think that it, it gives him a chance and a spotlight to do some things where you're going to be like, yeah, you know, look, I, you tune in to watch Zion and, and you're going to come away thinking, you know, hey, by the way, forgot how good Drew Holiday is like night in and night out. But on top of that, Favors is going to get a, a chance to shine in a way he just he just wasn't going to in Utah. No, you know, it's funny, like, I, I was thinking of DeAndre Jordan and how he, you know, got that $10 million a year deal to play with Brooklyn, and I, I honestly think Derek Favors is better than oh, yeah. at everything DeAndre Jordan does right now, and, you know, that's because he's younger, but, um, like, if you put him in that role with that, that, there would be at least more spacing in Brooklyn, which I think is maybe the concern in New Orleans, but you're totally right that everyone's kind of going to get an idea of what Derek Favors' starting center looks like, and I... You know, this is just from watching him play with Utah for the last seven years, but he's very, very good. Yep, um, and you know, I think Derek Favors. What the what the Brooklyn, you know, DeAndre Jordan contract shows is Derek Favors has to work on getting some some better friends that are going to be, you know, able to get him future <laughs> contracts. Um, yeah, he needs to stop. Like he's super into comic books, and so he's he's just doing that all the time. Watch him. Just instead of that, go out and go clubbing with with. Uh, some NBA players because clearly it's costing you millions there. Exactly. Um, They do pick up Jeff Green who will play a lot at the 40. Does he start at the 40, you think? I don't know. I I honestly think what I'm hearing is most likely is they start Royce O'Neal. And I don't know if that means that Bogdanovich is at the 4 or Royce is at the 4 or, you know, I, I think they bring Joe Ingles off the bench as kind of their lead playmaker coming off the bench. Um, the idea behind a very low usage guy, yes, uh, and he 
he's also probably your best perimeter defense, really good perimeter creators. And so um, I think that's the direction we'll see. You know, I definitely could see him starting games, but uh, I think they're going to go with Royce winning minutes. That's interesting. That that is an interesting because that's a little bit small. But you said, like you said, they want four out with some shooting, and that that provides some some interesting things and keeps the offense humming. Like this is a guy who knows how to play in the system. Has actually really thrived in the system. Yeah, and, and honestly, you the, the just the second unit. I don't know how a Emmanuel Mudiay, Royce O'Neal, uh, Jeff Green. Yang and Ed Davis unit scores. You know, I think you yeah. just need to stagger those so much and uh, give them a, a secondary playmaker in Joe Ingles. And, and you know, I, I think uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I, I think that's the direction they're going to go, even though it, it does, it is kind of non traditional, but uh, I, it sounds, and honestly, they think Royce, has, Royce O'Neill has improved a lot this offseason, too. So they think he's going to be taking a little bit of a jump as well. Yeah, and by the way, I. I think Joe Ingles is a sneaky six-man-of-the-year candidate. I mean, look, obviously we're going to have, like, 14 Clippers who are in the running for that award again. Uh, but, but, <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, like, and there's good, look, there's good depth on a, on a number of teams. But he's going to, like you said, I think he's going to come in with that second unit and get a lot of chance to kind of run with them. But agreed. And it's, to me, it's just kind of a matter of are his teammates going to be open enough or good enough or take the shots? You know, Ed Davis is a very good player yes. who blocks a lot of shots and is a great rim protector and is, a, the, honestly, I think a top five, top ten rebounder in the league um, on a percentage basis, but, like, he, he can't finish around the rim. You know, he's not a yeah. role guy. He can't finish like Derek Favors can, and so can Ingles uh, set up guys in other ways, and how does he do that, and how does he adapt? Uh, I think are real questions, but I think he showed with Australia during the World Cup. Like, he is a phenomenal uh, guy, a, a phenomenal player just reading defenses and, and finding open players yeah and I think that he can fit in that role I think by the way Ed Davis becomes I that's a really nice I mean he's again not as good as Derek Favors but I think a solid solid pickup for a guy who you know you can give 15 or 20 minutes a night and get really just quality NBA big rotation play he's not going to hurt you much he's going to make the smart play yeah not great hands not doesn't shoot great around the rim but he can do a lot and and a lot well Agreed. I, I thought that was a really nice pickup with the small mid-level exception to get yeah. Ed Davis. You know, I, I was pleasantly surprised by that. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think he's a good player. I mean, real plus minus loves him, uh, yeah. and just because of what he, he is, very uh, he's mobile on the perimeter, and then is a very good root protector down low. And then, yeah, just like I said, the rebounding is good. I, you know, I think that's like, it, you know, you probably went from the best backup center in the NBA to like. The, I don't know, what would you say Ed Davis is, like the 5th to 10th best backup yeah, center in the NBA? Yeah, I'd say 7th or 8th would have been my guess, but still, yeah. But that's a, um, that's, that's still a lot, I mean, that's still somebody you can count on to not, again, sometimes yeah. sometimes with the second unit, you're thinking, just don't hurt me. Don't become somebody who can expose, you know. And that's a guy, when we get to the postseason, again, you, Davis's minutes go down, but he's not going to hurt you in the 10 minutes, to 12 minutes he's out there a night. Um, let's talk about point guard, backup point guard for a minute, because that's, I think, a really interesting situation. They bring in Emmanuel Moutier, and what I've heard, the buzz I've heard is that they're actually really high on, I mean, yes, that was a gamble and a reclamation project, but they think they might have something. So to me, the thing with Moutier is, right, it's a one-year minimum deal. It, it's a gamble that makes a lot of sense. Uh, 
he was not a good player with him. But, no. So, he, you know, he was a guy in New York that his fans, uh, but out of all the Knicks players, he was called the tank commander, right? So, like, that's not a great sign. <laughs> uh, but they talked to Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck, the Jazz, uh, asked about, hey, I, I want to become a better defender. And, and the Jazz said, we won't play you unless you can defend. You know, if not, we'll, we'll play bigger lineups or play Nigel Williams-Goss as a backup point guard or even Drew Engel. So I think that's kind of been his focus and mentality going into training camp. Now, I'm a little bit skeptical that guys in this era can go from bad defenders to good defenders in the matter of an offseason, right? But he is 6'5", he is long, he has tools, um, and so I'm kind of curious to see how much of a jump he can make. You know what, if he can then great, he's your backup point guard, and all of a sudden you look a lot better because he, he can score a little bit, um, and especially he can hit mid-range jump shots is really what it comes down to. Yep. He can shoot, he, he's actually bad around the rim, but he can hit mid-range shots. Um, and if not, then you kind of get into some, some questions. Is, is Dante Axum really a point guard? I, I think we've learned that he doesn't have maybe the, the vision and the mentality to be a point guard in the NBA. Um, and then you go to Nigel Williams-Goss, like I said, and he's uh, an unproven guy who played in, in EuroLeague last year. So um, it is a definite question mark, I think, that spot for the Jazz, maybe the biggest one on the roster. Yeah, Williams-Goss looked pretty good. Like, he showed some promise at the summer league. I was with you in Salt Lake and then again uh, in Simon in Vegas. Like, he showed some promise and some potential, but, you know, I don't know that he's a guy you want to give 20 minutes a night to. I kind of pictured, I mean, I, Exum is making more than the minimum, obviously. They have gambled on him yeah. a little bit. Um, it, are are people there kind of, I don't want to say, the team would never say this, but are people there starting to just kind of write this off as a lost cause, or is it there's still potential there? Then Dante Exum at a spot. You know, I yeah. think they've, because, first of all, he's not fully practicing with the team. You know, he's doing, he's kind of doing those agility and movement kind of drills at the end of practice, which tells me he's still, you know, a, a multiple, probably a few weeks away from, from playing in a game. They said his movement is good, but maybe he's not there on the balance benchmarks that they can require players to get to and kind of return to action protocols. So, um, I think that's part of it is just they can't trust Dante to stay healthy. But I do think that there's also just a uh, – when he is out there, he hasn't he hasn't set the world on fire. You know, I think he's a good transition player. I think he's fast. Um, I think he can beat defenses with his feet. But in the half court, he has a tendency to, well, make bad decisions. And, and so um, I, I think they, they want to move on. You know, if, and if Dante is, health, is healthy and good and – there have been times where he's looked like a very good basketball player, a very helpful player. You know, honestly, two years ago against the Rockets, defending James Harden, I thought he did a great job. But, you know, at some point, you just need to be consistently good and consistently impactful. And we, we just haven't seen that from Dante yet. All right, so three minutes to go, tight game. You're playing, I don't know, let's go with the Clippers for fun, uh, or whomever. Uh, what other other elite team in the West coming. There's like 12 of them. Um, it feels like uh, who's got the ball. Is, is it, is it Donovan running the show and everybody working off of him? Or is it going to be Conley? I mean, we've heard like Conley's raved about the pick and roll with Gobert, right? Already. Like just cause Gobert yeah. sets a mean pick. Like that's forget the role part and everything else he does. That guy is a big body who sets a mean pick. 
be honest, like I, I think it's Conley and Donovan trading possessions. And that was, there were times last year where Donovan would just get the ball every single time down the floor for the last five minutes, and it meant that by the time that last minute rolled around, he was just clearly exhausted, you know, just honestly dribbling the ball for 15 seconds of a possession and then going with seven on the shot clock and, and just kind of being wild out there because, you know, the Jazz didn't really have other options. So I think they're going to trade off there as, as kind of, Lame as that answer sounds, I think that you really have two really good ball handling and scoring options who you're you're probably happy with uh, making the right play. And I think whoever ends up, I think the the opposing defense uh, probably is a a large part in deciding who gets kind of the last shot. I think given Donovan's history with the Jazz, it's probably leaning towards Donovan over Mike Conley, but. We'll, we'll see what happens this year. Um, but I, I do think that that lineup of Conley, uh, Mitchell, and then you've got two really good shooters in Ingles and Bogdanovich to, to space the floor, Rudy Gobert setting those picks, that's going to be one of the toughest, if not the toughest, five-man lineup to just stop in a must-stop situation because you do have kind of everything you want in that situation maybe other than a guy who can get a rebound and, you know, kind of save you in that way. But, yeah, but that is, that's probably the closing five, right? I mean, is, uh, Yeah, I, definitely. So which leads to the next question. I mean, this is a team that comes into the season now with, I mean, what are the expectations? Is it in a Western Conference Finals or beyond? What, 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 are, what does the team expect, regular season and playoffs? Yeah, I, I think they... <laughs> As they put it to us, and you know, I think they're everyone's always very afraid of saying, "Hey, this is championship or bust, or this is finals or bust, or whatever," right? But everyone says this team can do special things, and Justin was very clear at, at practice today, like, "Hey, our goal is is an NBA championship, and we're not going to be happy unless we we get there." And you know, that's how team sports is, right? There are 29 teams at the end of the year who who go home unhappy, but. I do think that this team thinks that they can win a title, and that doesn't mean that they will. That doesn't mean that they're favored. That doesn't mean that you know if you lose in the Western Conference Finals, everyone's going to be saying that this experiment was a failure. But I do think that this team thinks that they can come together and and win it all. So I, I, I mean that that's not the expectation, but that's the hope. And I do think that this team has enough talent to be the number one seed in the West if, if things go well in this regular season. You know, again, not the most likely scenario, but I think they can. And and that's the place that I don't think that the Jazz have been for a very long time. It's an interesting setup. Are they, I would imagine what they're thinking is, I mean, they, they I think they have a shot at number one, too, if they click really early. But the problem is, honestly, I think it, as much as I like the two Los Angeles teams as incredibly dangerous playoff teams, I'm not sure they rack up the regular season wins at that same rate. Great. Um, it's Denver, right? Like <laughs> Denver's still. I, I I might have more questions about them in the playoffs, and that's a whole different podcast. But regular season, Denver's a beast. Like that's just a hard team yeah. to play against night in and night out. So they're going to put up. But I'll say this: I don't think Denver. I, I'm. I might say Denver is a better team this year, and they might have a worse regular season record just because there's no way they win that many clutch games again, right? Like yeah. the clutch record last year was crazy. I think what becomes interesting when you talk about Utah chasing a title is it comes down to kind of that classic NBA thing, which is, all right, this is an incredibly good team. And like we said, Donovan and um, Gobert and, and Conley can create shots and they've got shooters. And you put out a really impressive lineup at the end of the game. 
and the Lakers are going to roll out LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and the Clippers are going to roll out, um, you know, Kawhi and, and George, and even Portland's got Damian. Like, who's the guy, right? Can they do they? Is Donovan that guy? Do they have that guy? Or and do they need that guy? I, I would say this. I would say Donovan. There's a chance Donovan takes a third year leap and becomes the guy, becomes a top ten in the NBA. You know, he's 20th right now. He's good. He's, he's He's got the athletic tools for it. Clearly needs to clean things up in his game. But, like, there's a world in which it happens, right? Um, or you can honestly get a little bit lucky, right? Like, so you can – one of the teams you run into gets hurt, like last year. And the Warriors, you, you lose a Kevin Durant and everything changes. Or you kind of – honestly, 2004 Pistons, right? And this is – the 2004 Pistons are the patron saints of, of teams that didn't have a superstar and, and still made it work. Uh and maybe yeah, I'm sure there are ten teams in the league right now that think that they're the O four Pistons, but I think the Jazz may be the closest. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. Like there's, I, I think if you look at it on the in the playoffs in, in in the last five minutes, I think you probably take the team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, or you take the team with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George because those guys are just such incredible players. But I think we've learned over the last couple of years that it doesn't actually always come down to that, and you you do have. Uh, the ability to beat teams as a team with a with a strong defense and a team that plays together um, can get you a title, can get you wins in the playoffs if, if you have things go your way a little bit well. Yeah, I, I agree. They, 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 but I think that's true of every team in the West, right? Like as much as yeah. this is a – I think what makes this year fascinating is that, that – look, there are seven teams in the West. I'm – Sorry, Portland. I'm not convinced you can actually win a title, even though, unless, by the way, <laughs> there's the Kevin Love sweepstakes, which could throw a wrench in everybody in the West. You know whether Denver ends up with him and where does Andre Iguodala ultimately land? Like, there's some interesting stuff out there, but Utah strikes me as one of the five or six teams that really has a shot. Out, we're forgetting the East. Like, Clippers, Lakers, obviously in the West. I put Utah probably third in in, in talking playoffs. Because I'm not totally sold on Denver, and then and then we start to get into Houston's defensive issues and whatever else on the line. I, they're right there. It's but it's going to take, it's going to take some luck and some breaks and and things just going right, like things coming together like yeah. they'd hope, right? Agreed. Yep. And and you're you're totally right. And I, I think you might, like I say, you may even put the Jazz team as like one A and or one B in terms of who's going to rack up the most regular season wins if, if they can click early, but. Uh, I, I I agree with you. I think playoff wise, I think you you put them probably above Denver and in, uh, in the playoffs just because we've seen them be pretty iffy, honestly, last year. Um, Portland, I, I think the Jazz match up pretty well with, and uh, obviously there are some problems, but uh, you know I think the Jazz would be favored in that series. Um, I, you know I, I think other than two LA teams, I think the Jazz would be favored in those series. It's just. Yeah, once it comes down to the second round and you find yourself playing the Clippers or Lakers or, or the Western Conference Finals, it's going to be really tough because just Kawhi and, and yeah. LeBron <laughs> and, and you know, generational players that you know are impossible. And Utah, this is where the regular season thing matters for them, by the way. They have a sneaky good home court advantage, both because the crowd there is, is fantastic if occasionally over the line like last season. But, I mean, I don't think that speaks for most of the Jazz fans or their organization. It just... They're a loud fan base, but beyond that, um, and we and we can get into that a little because I know that that rep is there among some of the players. But 
the people other also forget because everybody thinks of Denver at a mile high. Salt Lake City's not far below them. Like those two cities are way higher than everybody else, and that yeah. that, that that gets to teams too. Yeah, I mean Denver's a mile high and Utah's forty five thousand or forty five hundred feet. So like, yeah, we're it's ninety percent of the uh, altitude effect of, of Denver, kind of with maybe fifty percent of the publicity. So yeah, I, I think you actually look at the top last twenty years of home court advantage, and it's Denver one A, Jazz one B because of, of of honestly probably more the altitude, but you know I think the fans play a role as well. Um, you mentioned kind of wanting to get into that. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Pablo Cephalosha said that one of the reasons he left Utah, and maybe the primary reason, was uh, he didn't want to play in Utah anymore because of whether that be the political environment here, if it is kind of a conservative place, or whatever was said on the court. Um, he, I, you know, he said his his wife didn't want to live here anymore, and I think that um, you know I don't think that matters for ninety percent of NBA players who are just kind of in the NBA bubble, but I think there is a five percent. That, that it does matter for, and that's, it's, that's something to consider. I, I think it's a challenge. Is how much? And this gets into a bigger issue of just them. I mean, this summer they were able to go get Mike Conley, who's a guy who seems like he would fit in the city. He's kind of a quiet um, family guy leader, right? But it's not – you're not going to be able to necessarily recruit everybody, right? Like, you, you, I don't know that you can get Kyrie Irving to go and, and, and hoop in Utah. Like, there's certain – um, and that's not about the star power. There's just certain personalities may not want to go there, and, and it becomes about finding a fit. Agreed. And, and, or getting the trade value to, to make it happen in a trade, which I don't know that the Jazz have either. But, yeah. but that's, you know, this is the story of, it's not only Utah that has this, right? It's no. every market team. But, you know, the, the, the truth is the Jazz aren't going to go, uh, are, you know, have shown zero ability to be a free agent player for guys like Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant. And, and, you know, I think that does hurt you as, as a franchise, even, you know, especially in this era where teams, players are, are free agents more than ever. We should add, Donovan seems happy. Like, Donovan seems yeah. to have really embraced the city and its life and, and the life there and stuff. So, I mean, look, never say never in this league anymore about what will happen four or five years down the line, but he seems to be all in. Agreed. Uh, yeah, and he has embraced this community. Like, Donovan, it, it's honestly, like, just insane how perfect he is for this place like <laughs> and how much he's embraced it and, and what a good kid he is like it it, it honestly sounds like it's it's too good to be true and, and i can tell you that it's not just because donovan and you've talked to him a little bit too like, yeah. he's, he's just a fantastic kid you know yes. he, he just is perfect for here and i think he he has um he has really embraced it and and the city's embraced him and i think there's there's a lot of good stuff there that means i think you know the Donovan Mitchell, the Utah Jazz is going to be a, a phrase we say for the next seven years, or you know, however, I guess it's two more years in his rookie contract, and then probably a five-year extension after that. And and again, I, this is a situation the, nobody really forces. I don't want to say nobody. Rarely are guys forced out of that. They force themselves out now. If he wanted out, he'd have to do it now because he wants to get traded on the rookie deal to get the supermax. Did he? That he maybe or maybe not will be able to get it. We'll see if he earns all NBA in the next couple of years. I somehow I think MVP might be a reach, but he doesn't seem to want that. I think he seems like a guy who's you know maybe a player option on the last end of that year to keep pressure on the organization. But basically, he's going to take that cash. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Is that next I summer? That's next summer, right? The designated veteran exception, it'd be the designated rookie exception, exception yeah. right? The Rose Rule or whatever it is. 
Right. Uh, but yeah, he can get he can get a bundle of cash, and I think he'll take it because he's happy and he's on a good team. And you know, like, who's he going to join that makes more sense? I don't know. Like, obviously, the NBA will be a very different place eighteen months from now, and you know, he has to make that decision. But uh, I, I just don't see I, I don't see any reason that he would do something else, or or that the Jazz would let him go. Yeah, I, I would have to think that this would come up as fast. You know, they're going to let it the max. And like you said, uh, he seems comfortable. In the same way, look, there's well, not to get into the Giannis thing in detail, but there's just, and then you, you've probably talked to people around the league a little about this. Nobody's really looking at him jumping teams. Everybody's watching because, you know, good Lord, that's a lot of talent. But um, nobody really th- nobody really thinks he's leaving that situation in that team right now, right? And everybody expects he will take the, the money and stay. Um I think it's kind of the same with Donovan, right? Like he's going to take that rookie deal, and if he leaves, it's maybe five years down the line because who knows what the league looks like five years down the line. Yeah, and honestly, I think there's just like a, a fewer number of good situations for Donovan Mitchell. You know, I, I think yeah. like with Giannis, you have the literal MVP in the league. You know, whoever takes him, uh, whoever has the money would gladly pay it for Giannis. Yes, I think there are some real questions of like, all right, do you pay Donovan Mitchell the super max or the absolute max you can, and I'll do. And I think there are some fit questions if he were to go to another team. You know, and that's not to say Donovan Mitchell isn't worth a max contract. I think he is, but you know, it's just not a. We will kill ourselves to do whatever yes. it takes to open up cap space to even have a chance of sniffing Yacht. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just a different caliber of player. Yeah, exactly. I mean, comparing people to comparing anyone to Giannis or, or you know. Um, my favorite line, like somebody's like, "Well, LeBron does no, don't please don't compare anything to what LeBron does, like <laughs> longevity wise, success wise. That's a different. He is a freak of nature in almost every sense, and and you just have to accept that that's not the bar. Like you know, unless, his bar is Michael Jordan. He gets to have a different conversation. Um, you know, I'm not sure. And as good as Donovan is, I'm not sure you're right. I'm not sure he gets into the Giannis conversation, but he can be a franchise cornerstone guy. And they might have that now in Utah. They might have something that it's going to be a fun season to watch. That's going to be a really good team. You're you've got to be happy. You got to be in a you're in a good spot there in Utah with uh, uh it, it, your basketball you're watching in March and April is going to to have meaning it, or or they're going to be sitting yeah. everybody because they've got to rest them for the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm with you because I, I I honestly I was talking to someone uh, another beat writer in the league like. This is a great spot to be a beat writer. He's got a great team with a coach who, who's, you know. Oh, he's a great quote. I love, I love talking to Quinn. And you've got players, you know, are, again, great interviews as well. Um, it, you've got it, it's a smaller media market, so, you you know, you can get one-on-ones with guys. If I go over to a locker room, you know, I got a one-on-one with Kemba last year. I got a one-on-one with. Uh, oh, who was it? I'm, I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, Kevin Love from Cleveland. You know, and, and it's not that that hard to that that can be hard to do in in bigger markets like yep. in LA, where you're, that's just not going to happen. So, oh no, um, no, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, that's the, the I I still think some days like as much as I could never move from I I grew up in LA. I'm not really looking to leave LA, and I'm, especially now with kids and everything in school and stuff. I it's totally not happening. But if I'd started this job and been in Utah or Portland or something, how how different the experience might Sacramento, how different the experience would have been would be, would have been interesting. Um, that is wholly off topic. <laughs> Andy, thanks for jumping <laughs> in, man. Where, I, of course, everybody can find your work at the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, and you are, give me all the fun social media stuff where people can find you. Yeah, I'm just on Twitter at Andy B Larson. Um, yeah, I'm. I guess I'm on Instagram there too, but I'm I'm not good at Instagram. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
so yeah, follow me on Twitter at Andy B Larson, and yeah, like you said, check out our work at the SL Trib. I do the the triple team after every game is kind of the uh, flagship article, if you will, which is uh, kind of three points of analysis after every game. So check it out if if you're interested in how the Jazz are doing. It's yeah, it's it, you do great work. It's great. It's fantastic stuff, and I'm, I'm, it's great to see you in that position because there's there's actually really good writing out of Utah. It's a good team, but it's also good and and. Like I said, after doing there for the summer league the last couple of years for the uh, the boutique summer league where you can actually talk to people, um, it's it's a great city to it's it's a sneaky great city to visit. Like I know it doesn't have the best rep, but honestly, I have a blast when I'm there. It's a fun city to be to be out in, and man, I can I can find polygamy ale in multiple bars. I'm all good. Yes, exactly. No, it's a good beer, right? It's a really good beer. And the best part is the slogan: "You can't have just one." But it's, it's, still, it's a good beer too, man. Yeah, exactly. All right. Eddie, thanks. Hopefully I will see you during the season a couple of times. I look forward to talking to you soon, buddy. And everybody listening, we will be back soon with more NBA season previews here at the Pro Basketball Talk podcast at NBC Sports. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.